Amen. Well, thank you guys for singing and leading us. And I don't know about you, but when you think about the power of that song and the power of the message, is there ever a time that we don't need Jesus? We need him all the time. All the time. And when we think to ourselves, I got this, that's when we know we're in trouble. Right? Roughness and toughness is just about to happen. Now I saw Greg just taking his communion cup from his wife. (laughs) He was teasing her, but we are going to have communion today. So if you have not yet gotten communion, so I'm going to ask those guys in back, if you would guys just bring the communion cups up. So if you didn't get a communion cup yet, just wave at George or whoever is going to come up and they'll make sure you keep your hands up until you get them. And just so you know, we got new ones today, so they should be a little easier to use. Just push the tab down, then pull it up, and it should all work well. And so we'll, we'll get, take care of that little detail now so that we don't have to worry about that later. Thank you, George. Well, this morning we're going to continue in Hebrews 11, or Hebrews chapter 12, and let's just take a moment to kind of review, so I have that at the top of the the notes that should be in your bulletin, and you can see that there, and uh, a couple of things are going on. First of all, in Hebrews 11.6, we are reminded again that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. And so again, as we have talked about this in particular, we've talked about shopping at Amazon versus going to Sears, or not Sears, it's tough to go to Sears right now, as opposed to going to Home Depot or Lowe's or something like that. Now, if you can go shopping at Sears, that might be a big step of faith, because as far as I know, they're all now closed, except for maybe in a couple locations. But... um, the different the challenge is when you go to Home Depot and Lowe's, you pick it up, you look at it, you touch it, you feel it, you see it. It's, it's you got it. It's in your hands. There's no faith at all being exercised. But when you shop online, you are exercising faith. You look at the picture. They tell you they've got it. You send them your money. They send you the item, and you're hoping it gets here when you say it's going to get here. All that kind of stuff. That's faith. Faith, evidence of things hoped for, substance of things not seen. But again, as the writer is talking to the Jewish community, he's saying, listen guys, it is impossible to please God without faith. If you're not exercising faith, taking that step into that unknown, taking that step saying, okay God, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to take this step forward, that is what God desires and that's how he please him and that's one of the ways that we honor him it's impossible to please God impossible to please him without faith and then throughout the book or throughout the chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 he walks through all of the Jewish history or so much of the Jewish history and says this person walked by faith this person walked by faith this person walked by faith this person trusted God this person trusted God and he goes through all of these amazing individuals that we have read about if you've read through your Old Testament read through your Genesis and Exodus and that kind of stuff but also individuals that the Hebrew community has read about they've read about Samuel and they've, they've read about Jephthah. They've read about all these individuals. They know all these individuals. And they know the journeys that they've walked. And so they're being reminded, listen, all these people walked and lived by faith. 
And God is not asking you, he's not calling you to do something that's impossible. He's not calling you and asking you to do something that's like really tough. No, he's calling you and saying, I want you to walk and follow me just as this person did, just as that person did. All these individuals that you've read about, I I want you to follow me just as they have followed. Now, is there challenge? Is there struggle? Is there hardship at times in that process? Absolutely. But follow me. But then as you came to the end of chapter 11, we talked about this. I loved the fact that he went off the pages of scripture and then he started to talk about sin. There's so many more, so many other people that have walked by faith. You're, and now he doesn't, didn't use this language, but he started to say things that would indicate your grandparents, your grandmothers, your, your aunts and your uncles, your mothers and your fathers, all these other individuals who you know in your life that you have seen walk and live by faith. God, I want you to follow me and I want you to emulate all of those individuals that have walked by faith. And then you get to the beginning of chapter 12. He says, see, we're surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses and all these people are cheering us on. But as he comes into chapter 12, he hits something. It's kind of brand new. We talked about this a little bit last week. It's brand new, really, in the conversation. He touched on it once a little bit around chapter 3 or chapter 4, but now he hits it much harder. And he talks about sin. And he says, guys, but I don't want you to give room to sin. And as he talks about that, we talked about this last week, it's this whole tension point. See, the whole sin issue that's going on is he's calling them, they're being called to live by faith. And yet what they have been doing is is they've been backing up. They've been backing up from Jesus. They've been kind of backing into their Jewish tradition. And again, as we went through Hebrews... The writer to the book of Hebrews is, is in, he's talking about all of these things through Jewish tradition, Jewish history, where Jesus is greater and better and more amazing and wonderful than anything they could have ever have imagined. There's nothing in their Jewish tradition that is greater and better than Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. But the sin issue is they are backing up into that Jewish tradition instead of standing there and then leaning in to Jesus. And so he gives this caution, he gives this warning. Sin is motivating you to back up. Don't do that. Lean in. And again, as we said, that heavenly host is cheering us on. I love the idea that we are on the track and we are surrounded by the hosts of heaven and they're going do it you can do it I don't know about you that's exciting it's cool and that's the imagery that's being presented run the race do it well complete the course in heaven is cheering us on. Well, we're going to pick up now and continue some of that conversation. He starts to talk about discipline. Being disciplined by God because of sin. But before we jump into that, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll have some fun as we walk through Scripture a little bit. Father, thank you for the time you've given us around your word. Father, thank you for the challenge that you give us to know you and to understand you and to walk with you. Lord, just be with us this morning, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, 
Amen. All right. So, if you can, if you have your Bible, you can open it, or you can follow along with us on the screen as well. But let's begin in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse three. And as we kind of process there, let me get to where I can see that on my page here. That is great. So here's here again what he's saying is for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. We talked a little bit about this last week. He also presents the example of Jesus, the greatest example now of one who walked by faith, who obeyed God, who honored God. And so he say guys, look at Jesus. And he says here, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So now Jesus resisted to the point of shedding his blood. Jesus was sought to be pressed. They sought to make Jesus conform. And Jesus said, no, I'm the, he acknowledged, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When Jesus was pressed to, to back up from what he was called to do, when Jesus was said, pressed to just kind of give in and, 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 and just kind of back away and slide away, he didn't do that. And so he, when he, he, he went to that cross, he was executed because he was not going to back down from who he was and what he came to do. He trusted the Father. He rested in the Father. And he went to that cross shedding his blood. But we also know three days later he rose again. And that resurrection proves that he had victory over sin and victory over death. And he can give that life and he can give that forgiveness. So then he continues... And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Now I love this passage because he's quoting from Proverbs, I believe, chapter 3. He says, you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Couple thoughts here. Number one, you should take time to reread Proverbs 1 to 9. It's a great read. Now, all of Proverbs is a great read. But in particular, in the heart of those nine chapters, probably from chapters 2 to chapter 5, you have this incredible conversation that's really going on between Solomon and his son. Now, people will ask the question, is it a figurative conversation or is it a literal conversation? I'm not sure which it is, but it's, enough, but it's a phenomenal conversation that's going on. And the, son is, the father is saying, Solomon is saying, listen to what I have to say. Pay attention. If you pay attention to what I'm saying, if you listen to the instruction I'm giving you, you will avoid a boatload of trouble. You'll avoid so much difficulty. You'll avoid so much hardship. You'll avoid so much anguish. You'll avoid so much irritation if you would just listen. In fact, it's, you won't even drive down the street of pain and suffering. You'll take the bypass that'll so go around all of this garbage if you'll just listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Now here's the problem with kids. You know the problem with kids, right? Mom and dad say, avoid this. Listen to me. They plead with them. Well, pay attention to what I'm trying to say. 
And the kids go, you don't know what you're talking about. You are clueless. You have no understanding. No idea. Your 30, 40, 50 more years of life experience over mine means nothing. You don't understand. It's a brand new day. And then one day they talk to their kids and they say, would you listen to me? (laughs) And their kids say the same thing to them. But we should be smart and learn. If we could learn, if we could pause and wait and listen. And he's having this conversation. He's reminding them of what Solomon is saying to his son. Now here's this reality. Parents discipline their kids. They do. And you know why parents discipline their kids, right? They hate them. They can't stand them. They want to get them. They want to see pain and anguish and suffering. No, none of the above. They discipline their kids because they love their kids. I discipline my kids. I love my kids. I want them to avoid heartache. I want to avoid problems. I want to avoid anguish. I want them to avoid the pitfalls of life that life is trying to put in front of them to cause them to trip and fall over. And so I say, you see that? You see that? I'm not looking. Do you see that? It's right there. Don't trip over it. Sometimes they listen. Sometimes they ignore you. But you discipline them because you love them. You are trying to teach them. You're trying to train them. You're trying to instruct them so they can figure out how to navigate the path of life in a way that is successful and meaningful so that they aren't crashing and burning in life. And the challenge here and the issue here is that God is doing the same thing with us. God loves us. And he disciplines us. And why does he discipline us? He disciplines us because he wants us to avoid the pitfalls of life. He wants us to avoid those snares of sin that are set out to trap us and to grab us and to pull us astray. He wants to remind us that we should not take this exit. We should keep right on going. This exit leads to destruction. This exit leads to a disaster. This exit leads us to a place that we absolutely want to avoid. Don't take this exit. No matter how shiny the lights are, no matter how much the the, the, the advertisements say, don't take that exit. It's a disaster. And so God has these conversations with us and he's trying to encourage us to walk with him and to know him because God is a loving father and a loving father is going to discipline his kids because he wants them to learn and he wants them to grow and he wants them to succeed. And the text goes on. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The truth of the matter is you want to receive God's discipline because it's also evidence of the fact that you are his child. He goes, furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? You catch that point? 
He's saying, listen, guys, you had your fathers teach you. You had your fathers discipline you. And, and you listened, at least often. Maybe not all the time because that's the reality of stuff. But, but as they, and we also understand this as parents. We bring growing levels of pressure to bear, don't we? So I'm going to give you a small consequence for that dumb behavior. And hopefully that small consequence for that dumb choice, that dumb behavior, will lead to a change in behavior. But if you continue in that foolish and dumb behavior, I'm going to give you a bigger consequence. I'm going to make the pain a little bit more. And sometimes we make the pain even a little bit more. Why? Because we're trying to cheat. We're trying to train so that they avoid the disaster that's coming. And we also understand as parents that we often are dealing with littler things. Because we understand the patterns of life. We understand the flow of life. And we understand that patterns of behavior when they're smaller and younger and while they're still at home don't necessarily have the same catastrophic life experience life consequences as when they get out of our home and they start doing some really crazy things down that same pathway. So we bring discipline to bear to try to train them and to teach them to avoid certain things so that they truly don't crash and burn in life. And he's saying, if you listen to your earthly parents and you finally scratched your head and say, gee, I guess mom and dad are right. I really should listen. If you're choosing to listen to your mom and dad, your earthly mom and dad, man, why shouldn't you listen to your heavenly father who's also trying to catch your attention, who's also been disciplining you in areas of life and is trying to say to you, don't do these things. Avoid these things. Pursue me instead. Why would you not listen to your heavenly father? Of course you would want to listen to your... We've learned the process from our parents. And so the application, the assumption is we would also then want to do the same thing as God is disciplining us. For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But God does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. Now, this next part is so true. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Isn't that true? Man, anyone say, discipline me again. <laughs> you know, so I was telling you before about my folks who stand me in a quarter, sit me in a chair, give a spanking. Can I just sign up for round two? <laughs> it was so much fun the first time I want to do it again no it's never fun it's never fun I remember when my sister ratted us out my brother and I for swearing on the bus I would have made a truck driver proud on that bus And boy, oh boy, we had a weekend of not fun. Dad just had all sorts of things lined up for us. I only had to have one weekend like that. I changed a lot of my behavior on that bus. Just needed one weekend. Didn't, I wasn't saying to Dad, can we do this again next week? It was so much fun. <laughs> it was just not fun. 
No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields a peaceful, and so very true, a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Think through those things where your parents disciplined you. Those things where your parents said, you've got to stop doing this. This is wrong. It's got to change. It's got to stop. And you kind of went, no. And so then they started to bring pressure to bear. So finally said, I give, I surrender, okay. Look at some of those things in your life. They probably still continue to bear fruit. They probably still continue to manifest themselves in positive ways in your life. Why? Because you were choosing to listen, you were choosing to be trained, and after a period of time you realize there really is a benefit to what mom and dad are trying to say to me. There really is a fruit. And all of this conversation carries over to the reality of walking with God and the things that God is seeking to do in our lives. Because the very reality is God is also trying to teach us how to walk. He's trying to teach us how to live. He's trying to teach us how to honor him. He's trying to teach us how we can live in righteousness and holiness. He's trying to help us to figure out how to be transformed by the things that he has for us. So that we don't live in the patterns of sin. So we're not destroyed by the patterns of sin. But rather we can live in righteousness and holiness. And God is trying to teach us those things. He says, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened needs and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. What's he saying? Guys, listen to God's instruction. Listen to God's correction so that you can know life and healthiness and vitality in your life. Now you might ask, how do I recognize and how do I see God's discipline in my life? How do I differentiate God's discipline from other things in life? Let me give you a few examples. When I, the summer when I graduated from high school, I started to try to sow my, some of my wild oats. You know how that whole process works, right? You start to feel a little rebellious. You start to say, I'm a little free. You know, I'm an adult now. I don't need to listen to mom and dad, which is so not true. And uh, so you start to pursue these things and you start to chase after things. I had like 10 flat tires that summer. Every time I turned around, either going someplace or coming from someplace, I had a flat tire. All the time. And finally, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is my dad had a pickup truck with a cap on it, and he used that truck for work. And so my dad sold pictures sold framed art to schools and libraries and they would check out a picture like you check out a book and all that kind of stuff and you don't see it a whole lot today but it fed us for a bunch of years and so he would use that panel truck to make deliveries and or pickup truck to make those deliveries and I went to youth group one night and I parked underneath the tree and it was a tree with a bow that came out like this and so I backed in this way and when I left I tried to leave this way so you know what happened right I backed in, 
perfectly fine, but when I was pulling out, I was pulling out right into the bow of that branch. And as I did that, I clunk. And I knew that I had hit the corner of the cap into the tree. Now, here's one of the things I have learned in life. And again, my parents helped me to learn this and figure this out. When something negative happens, I can try to pretend it didn't happen. And I can wait until the people who own things and have things discover that something is broken and damaged and then they can hunt me down and find me and then they have I have this awkwardness and uncomfortableness going on inside of me until they confront me for the fact that I broke something or I can just go and say straight up front so I learned I went got home I went to dad and said dad I parked under the tree and I hit the cap I think it's I did something to it and I was ready for my dad to kind of like read me the, the riot act. What did dad do? He looked at me and says, Andrew, I think God has been trying to get your attention and I think you need to listen. And basically with that, he turned around and went in the house. And that was the end of the conversation. See, I knew that because I knew in my spirit that God was trying to get my attention by allowing things to start to pile up that were obstacles and blocks to my wanting to behave badly and God was doing things to catch my attention and say Andrew this is not the stuff I want you to do how about another example or another illustration Anyone here ever get a speeding ticket, parking ticket, something like that? Don't want to admit it? (laughs) That's an example. You see, the reality is sometimes God allows our poor choices now to have consequences. Our poor choices now start to affect us. It affects us financially, it affects us with time, it affects us with opportunities, it affects us with privileges. And so the reality of our poor choices, the reality of our our poor decisions start to have natural consequences that start to pile up in our life. And that's one of the ways that God starts to discipline us. Because why? What's going on? This is the reality of what's going on with sin. Sin expresses itself externally But the problem with sin is that it's an internal problem. It's our wants, it's our desires that are not functioning well. And so God is bringing attention to those wants and those desires and those attitudes. And it's not just changing the external stuff that God wants us to work on. He's also looking to change the heart. And he's trying to get attention to bring us transformation in our heart. So when I was running from God after high school, he did not just want me not to do those things. He wanted a change of attitude inside me. He wanted me to say, God, I don't need to chase all those things to know fulfillment or purpose or value or meaning in life. Rather, I can find that in you in pursuing you. And when we do things that 
bring natural consequences in life, I would suggest to you that that is God bringing discipline in your life and he's trying to get your attention and he's trying to say to you, this was not a good idea. This was a poor choice. Now, would you listen to what I have to say? Scripture has a ton of things to say about how to deal with relationships. And when we have bad relationships and things fall apart, things crash and burn, and all sorts of disasters start to take place, I would suggest to you that part of that is probably areas of discipline because you have not been practicing the disciplines and the principles of Scripture on how to handle relationships. Scriptures have a bunch of things to say about how to manage our money. And I would say to you, if you're having difficulty and struggling with money, you should probably look at the reality that God is probably disciplining you because you're not listening to the principles and instructions that he would give to you about how to manage and handle your money. We have all these natural consequences that start to flow. God talks to us about how to interact with society and how to interact with people. And when we start to have difficulties in interacting with society and interacting with people, I would suggest to you that that is also God's discipline. It's also cultural discipline, but that is also God's discipline saying you need to change the patterns of behavior. You need to change the choices of of what you're making because these things are not, not helpful. They're destructive. They don't reflect my character. They don't reflect what I'm trying to accomplish in your life. They reflect just the outworking of your sinful desires and your sinful choices that are destroying your life. We need to look at the reality of that. Now, there's a big difference, though, from persecution. Some of these individuals, as as the scripture says, you have not yet shed blood. Jesus was being pressed to not honor his father. Jesus was being pressed just to give ground to the Sanhedrin, to to roll over for Pilate, and and to just give him the answers he wanted so he could justify himself and not execute Jesus. And Jesus didn't do that. That's persecution. When people harass us and give us a hard time because of a stand we take in Jesus, because we decide to honor God's word, that's not discipline from God, that's persecution. That's radically different from God disciplining us. But as he is writing and as he's talking to these individuals, he's saying, listen guys, you're experiencing in your life discipline from God because you have been backing up. You have sinfully in your heart been choosing to create distance between you and God, between you and Jesus. You've been choosing to say, well, maybe I'll just kind of go back to that Jewish tradition, the Jewish way of doing things. I'm going to back up. I'm going to create space. I'm not going to walk real well with Jesus. Jesus, I'll kind of catch you on weekends. I'll see you maybe on Sunday, but the rest of the week is kind of my time. And so there's been discipline because they're backing up. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you backing away from me. I want you leaning into me. And I've said this to people so many times. If I was never a Christian, I would still listen to so much of what the scriptures have to say because when you do what the Bible says, it works. It's amazing. It works. You listen to the principles of talks about how... I I use this all all the time. I still remember playing basketball and I found this guy bad. And he was ticked off. But Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. And it's the first time it really kicked in for me. And I just, like, I turned around and just so ticked off and went, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I just totally owned it. He goes, oh, okay. 
And the game kept on going. I mean, it just totally diffused the entire situation. I mean, I could have gotten belligerent and said, well, you're in my way. You're playing stupid. That's what would have happened. Totally diffused the whole situation just because I used the biblical principle, the soft answer turns away wrath. When you listen to what the Bible says, it just works. It's amazing. But the truth of the matter is that the principles of what, of what the Bible talks about are not just general, but there really is a God in heaven. Jesus really is real. And when you listen to what the scriptures have to say about who Jesus is, it, it's about life and death. It's real. And Jesus is saying, listen guys, I want you to lean on me. I want you to hold on to me. I want you to walk with me. And when you start backing up for me, when you start creating space, I'm going to do things to catch your attention because I have to discipline you as my kids because I want you to walk with me. I want you to know me. I don't want you going out in public and pretending I'm not your dad. I'm your dad. We're family. I want you to live that way. I want you to acknowledge that reality. And then he continues. And this is throughout the book of Hebrews. There's a number of passages that he gives that says, I want your attention. Listen. And this is one of them. This is the last of those passages. He says, pursue peace with everyone. And holiness. Without no it, without it, no one will see the Lord. Now, we're talking about just peace and holiness. No, we're talking particularly about holiness. But we need holiness. Where do we get holiness? No. Where do we get holiness? We get it from Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. What? So that we might become the righteousness of God. We get holiness as we walk with Jesus and as we place ourselves in Jesus. That's where holiness comes. And the discipline process is now teaching us to live in the reality of that holiness. To live in the transformed place of knowing that holiness. What's amazing too is when you start to live in holiness and when you start to practice the principles that Jesus gives us, peace starts to bubble up. Because when we start to treat people with grace, when we start to treat people with kindness, when we start to treat people with dignity, when we start to treat people with integrity, when we start to practice biblical principles and big biblical values, it's amazing. Peace erupts. Make sure or pursue peace with everyone in holiness without it no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. We need to be doing this process of stepping into people's lives and prodding them and encouraging them. Say, listen, you need to walk with the Lord. You need to listen to what Jesus is saying. You need, you need to pay attention. This is where we come alongside one another and we prod each other in that positive way, where we encourage each other in that positive way. We talked about this in Hebrews 10. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, you've got to stay focused. You've got to stay in the game. It's kind of like when you're on a, playing a sport and you're, and you're playing a game and, and, and someone just drove past you and, and your teammate comes up to you and says, Listen, 
you got this. Okay, you, you, you know they went past you. We, 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 we lost that point, but you got this. You can do this. You got it. You got it. It happens on a basketball court, the football field. It happens everywhere. It happens all places in life where we come alongside and say, you've got this. You can do this. But he also talks about something here that I think is really key. And that no root of bitterness springs up. You know what bitterness is, don't you? Maybe you don't. Bitterness is that thing that goes on inside of us. It's that unforgiveness that's holding on to hurts. It's that holding on to irritation. It's that holding on to frustration. I'm going to remember. I've got a long memory. I'm going to get you somewhere. I'm going to get you somehow. And I'll smile until I can get you. (laughs) Bitterness. It just curdles people's souls. Just curdles people's spirits. It's really ugly. And he tells us to not allow that to happen, to not allow that to be present. We see people starting to develop a root of bitterness. We should be going to them and saying, listen, you've got to deal with this. This is not healthy. This is not good. It defiles and causes trouble. It's ugly. True story. In my previous church, the son had a root of bitterness to his mom and dad. And one day he murdered them. Not made up. Real deal. Just a root of bitterness. And it led to murder. He's spending the rest of his life in prison. Happened about six years ago. Bitterness is an ugly, ugly thing. And that's where it leads. Make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. Esau was a child of the son of promise. The oldest. The one who should have inherited. But he disregarded God. He disregarded his mom and dad He lived defiantly and rebelliously and stubbornly. Now, his brother received the blessing. He was not a gem either. He was sneaky and conniving. But in the midst of all that, there was a burgeoning, developing, and growing heart for God that blossomed over time. 
that never was the case with Esau. He never had a heart for God. So make sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person. You know what's interesting? He puts both of those on equal level. Immorality and irreverent. Both on an equal plane. One more verse. Two. I'll go one more. And then we'll stop. For you know that leader, when we wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find an opportunity for repentance. The writer of Hebrews is having this conversation. If we didn't finish everything in the notes, that's okay. We'll keep on walking next week. He's saying, guys, address the issues of sin. Address the issues of sin. Allow God to discipline you. And as God disciplines you, choose to lean in. Choose to lean in to the Father. Choose to lean in to Jesus. Don't back up. Don't back away. Don't create space. And he finishes, we'll finish with the illustration of Esau. He didn't find an opportunity for repentance. He never found it. Now I'll say this. Sometimes people never find something because they're ultimately never really looking for it. And you want to know something? People that say, I'm going to back away from God. The challenge here is that you very well may not find that opportunity for repentance. And why may they they never find that opportunity for repentance? Is because God won't offer that opportunity? No, in fact, he's offered that opportunity and it's sitting there ready to be picked up. It's sitting there accessible and available with Jesus, ready to be grabbed a hold of. But the reason people sometimes never find the opportunity for repentance is because when they back up and step away, they're never ever looking for it. They never ever think about looking for it. It never enters their radar or their thought process anymore. And so they walk away from God and they're not thinking about finding a place for repentance and so they never experience that opportunity for repentance because they have walked away. So the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, lean into Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Grab a hold of Jesus. Acknowledge the reality of sin. Embrace the forgiveness that Jesus gives. And walk with him. That is the power of we have here. And I'll encourage you to kind of bend that top flap down and you can open that up and take that wafer out. Hopefully this works a little bit better than what we've used in the past. I don't know where you are today in your journey. I don't know where you are. But these elements, this wafer of bread and this little cup of juice, they remind us of what Jesus did on Calvary. And they remind us of an opportunity for repentance, an opportunity for forgiveness that's right here, right now, available to every single one of us.
And so I would say to you, if you're here today and you haven't come to a point in your life where you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would say to you right now, Jesus wants you to put his faith, wants you to put your faith and trust in him. Jesus wants you to trust him. And to say, Jesus, I recognize that I can only find forgiveness through what you did on the cross of Calvary for me, and so I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to accept you into my life. I'm going to trust what you did on Calvary for my forgiveness. I don't know if that's where you've been in your journey, but I would encourage you to trust Jesus. Maybe you've come to a point in your journey where you've trusted Jesus, but you're wrestling somewhere back here. And there have been some places where you've kind of backed up from walking with Jesus. And I would encourage you today to say, you know, Jesus, I have not been walking with you the way I should, and I haven't been honoring you the way I should. And I've been seeing and experiencing discipline in my life from you, trying to get my attention. And I would encourage you to step into that and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you and I want to know you. I want to live well with you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for messing up. I'm sorry for backing away. And maybe you have been walking and living well. Celebrate the amazingness of who Jesus is. Celebrate this amazing life that he has given us, this forgiveness that he's given us, and the promise of eternity. And as Jesus had took the bread, the scriptures say he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they didn't understand it yet. They didn't realize he was going to get wheat beaten and battered in the next few hours, that he was going to be hung on a cross, and within 24 hours, not even 24 hours, about 12 hours, he was going to be dead. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it yet. And they didn't understand that in 70, roughly 72 hours or so, Jesus was going to rise. They didn't get that either. But Jesus understood all of what was coming. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember together. We can open the, this little thing the rest of the way. You can hopefully get that metal thing that doesn't want to work too well for me. But the scriptures say that after he took the cup, he or after he did the bread, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And as we walk through a little bit more of Hebrews 11 next week, we're going to be reminded of this newness that we have, that Jesus has given us something brand new, a new covenant, a new covenant in his blood, a promise of forgiveness, a promise of heaven, a promise of relationship in eternity because of what Jesus accomplished on Calvary. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me as well. Let's partake together. I'm going to close in prayer and they're going to receive an offering. But if you have something you'd want to talk to us about or something you want to follow up on, 
I'd encourage you to do a couple things. One, we have the communication card. You can just draw a note on there and, and, as Connor said, place it gently in the offering plate instead of throwing it in the offering plate. We'll be glad to follow up with you and have a conversation. I'll be probably over here and Connor will be not floating but somewhere around if you want to talk to him as well. Uh, Maybe you want to talk to one of the guys you see on the music team and say, hey, can we have a conversation real quick about spiritual things? And we'd be glad to have a conversation with you about Jesus and, and walking with him and knowing him. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you so very much this morning for the amazingness and awesomeness of who you are. Father, for the amazing way in which you love us, the amazing way in which you've shown us the truth of who you are. Be at work in us and through us. Continue to build into us the substance and the character of who you desire us to be. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.